That was the day of Pentecost. And today we're getting Pentecostal, all right? <laughs> okay, some people just got worried. Hey, I, um, in case you forgot, I'm Greg. I haven't been around for a while. I miss you. It's good to be back. Good to be back. Yeah, I, I for the last three weeks, been, uh, I went to Scotland for a little while and uh, checked out some kingdom communities there and then went to Budapest, Hungary for a while and then to Fresno, California, where it's very, very hot. Um, but had a great time. I, I'm so thankful uh, that, as a lot of you know, Woodland Hills has freed me up a little bit to pour into this movement that's going on around the world, this kingdom revolution, uh, where people are getting a, a vision of the true Jesus-looking God, raising up the Jesus-looking people to change the world in a Jesus kind of way. And uh, it is alive and well. I'm happy to report. It is it, it's so cool. Um, so in Scotland, I was just, uh, aside from some sightseeing, I wanted to, it's, oh, it was been on my bucket list to go to Scotland because my ancestors came from there up to the 11th century when they kicked us out. But uh, <laughs> do you know it rains 267 days out of the year there? It, it, at least in uh, some parts of our, it, it's, it's, it's always gloomy. I, in my mind, I had envisioned the rolling hills, you know, and those beautiful meadows and picking heather on the hill and all that stuff. And, and uh, it came from Brigadoon. I, that's my picture of Scotland. And the mountains are there, and they're gorgeous, and there's a mystical wonderfulness to the whole place. But it's always, the way they refer to summer is, uh, that happened on June 14th. Yeah, the sun came out. It, it, it's always overcast, especially in Glasgow. Honey, you would not do well over there. She, she's an affect disorder. You'd go crazy. Uh, but the people are wonderful, and the communities are wonderful. They have this kingdom network of, of communities. Um, and I, I'm working through the same organization you just heard about, Communitas. And they set up uh, churches all over the globe. Um, and their idea of church is just what you saw here this morning, uh, where uh, you get, uh, starts with two, three, four people, and you just start to serve in some area. And uh, they, then the kingdom happens. The kingdom just happens. It's not like we usually think of church starting with a worship band and a sermon or whatever. No, it just starts with service. And so in, in Scotland, there's this couple, uh, two couples that uh, um, uh, just decided, like, ask question, how can we serve? And there's a lot of refugees from Iraq that are over there. Just, they're flooding into Scotland and all the islands of Scotland uh, uh, over there. And um, so they said, how can we serve these refugees? Well, they go to them and they just start by saying, how can we pray for you? Now, they're all seeking asylum. Uh, and about three out of four get turned away. They, you have to hit a pretty high bar uh, where your life was in danger over in Iraq in order to be accepted in Scotland. Uh, throughout a four get turned away. But they start praying for these folks that they'll get asylum because that's their main prayer request. Pray that I get asylum. Um, and uh, they would invite them over and uh, pray. They have a little, uh, actually a chair that they call a prayer chair. And the, people, the person sits there and they gather around them and just pray for them. Um, and after 50 or 60, 50, 60 cases that they've been through, they, where they actually walk with these people, they pray with them, and then they, they go to court with them, uh, and our character references, they have yet to have one turn back. They all get asylum. And so it, 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 it becomes an evangelism tool. Uh, words out there of among these refugees that yeah, these Christians, they pray for you, and it, it increases your odds of getting asylum. And so it's an evangelism tool. So they come to get prayed for. Some of them are already Christians, and that's why they fled Iraq, because if you're a Christian in Iraq, uh, you can get killed. Um, but it's, uh, others left for political reasons or whatever reasons, and they're Muslim. Uh, but they all come uh, to get prayer for uh, this uh, uh, asylum. And what's, the, what's happened is they've developed a community there, a, a church. But it's a very interesting kind of church. I, I went to one of their services. Um, first of all, there's like 
five or six white people, Europeans, and the rest are, are from Iraq. And some are Muslims and some are Christians. And they're so a lot about this. Um, you ask people, are you a follower of Jesus? And they'll just say, no, no, I, I follow Allah, but I really appreciate your prayers. <laughs> but in time, some of the, it, it, they have a community there and they pray and then they, they do a little Christian teaching and they worship together and then they have dinner. And it's just, if you talk about a diverse church where you're in, you're in this packed little room, all crammed together, uh, someone's playing piano and they're worshiping sometimes in Parsi, which is the Iraqi language, uh, and, and sometimes in English. Uh, but the Muslims and the Christians are all worshiping together. It's very strange. And the Muslims are singing these praises. To, I don't know if you even know what they're doing, but they're praising Jesus. Um, but it wears off on them. See, their, 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 their philosophy is first you serve and then you belong and then you believe. You know, so they, they include them in community uh, uh, as they are, as Muslims. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, and joy permeates this place. The spirit shows up. A lot of get transformed. A week before I got there, they had just baptized 13 more uh, uh, Muslims uh, and, and who, who profess faith in Christ. So it's a beautiful thing. That's just one snippet of, of what uh, goes on over there. Then uh, in, in Budapest, I got to meet uh, some of our lovely podrishers from all over Europe. Uh, they came together, and we had a conference, and they got to meet Communitas, and Communitas is offering to help coach them and, and establish these uh, communities. And it's just, it's, it's so humbling to hear people who, either through writings or through messages uh, you know, on podcasts, they, 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 they get transformed, uh, they have a new picture of God, new understanding of their life, and they take it like a million miles beyond your own life. It's very humbling. And they're thanking you for it. It's like, man, I look up to you. It's, it's, it's just a radical thing, but it's just beautiful. And then in, in Fresno, got to uh, teach a class with Bruxy Cavie. Some of you know him from the Meeting House in Canada. He's just a wonderful, radical hippie. And uh, uh, there's this class. Uh, this course was designed just for people in this, in this movement, this kingdom movement. Because uh, they know these people in this movement, a lot of them need more education about scripture and, and theology and pastoral advice, but they can't take three years out to go to seminary. So they designed this program where they, it's an online uh, uh, kind of thing, but, but twice a year they're going to meet together. Next year they'll be meeting right here at Woodland Hills Church. And then they have teachers come in and teach this. So I and Bruxy and Brian Zane are, are part of this program. And it was a delight to teach these 30, 35 uh, passionate, engaged kingdom people. Uh, and and uh, who've all kind of gotten this vision in varying degrees, but there's just a fire there. Uh, one message I want to uh, just convey back to Woodland Hills is this. Everywhere I go when I'm freed up to be pouring into this movement, I get people who come up to me, lots of people, lots of people come up to me, some with tears in their eyes, thanking me for the podcast uh, of Woodland Hills and for other resources that we make available. And they give these testimonies about how their lives have been changed and uh, how they're now you know, doing ministry like they never would have done otherwise. Um, and they're just so thankful for it. And I want to give that back to you. They're thanking us. I, I'm the representative over here, over there, but where I go, you go. And, and so this is back on us. And I hope you feel the, the honor and privilege of, of being part of this, to be pouring into people in a way that is just making a difference. So on behalf of them, thank you. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's gorgeous. We love you, Padrishers. Some beautiful people out there. A lot of times when I'm in these experiences, I'm just wishing that all the church could be here to witness this. Like, oh, you guys should see this. It's beautiful. All right. Uh, so we're talking about being filled with the Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some of you are nervous. But that's okay. Uh, 
I'll, I'll start with this. When I, when I was in Hungary, I uh, one morning went out uh, for uh, my little speed walk exercise, uh, my wiggling exercise. And so I did uh, six miles or so. And then I'm stretching afterwards as I'm doing my cool down. And I noticed uh, this elderly couple. Uh, they had to be 80-something or maybe 90. I don't know. They were old. But there was something so beautiful about them. They, you know, they're just kind of, you know, just walking along. And, but I just started looking at them. And uh, what I noticed was this, that they had this endearing love for each other. You could just see it. And they looked at each other with, with this, these beautiful puppy love like, eyes. And they're 90-something. And, and they just, the way they look at each other. And then they tease each other. And you know, she kind of slap him like, oh, get out of here. I don't know. But they're, play, they're, they're playful and they're laughing. And then sometimes they notice a flower. And they went over there and just kind of looked at it together. And or were amazed at it. And, and you could just see that there's this beauty there. Arm in arm, eyes making contact like that. Uh, being playful, interested in other things. They had what I would call an extravagant kind of love, a noticeable kind of love, a love that overflows. It's extraordinary. And it was just beautiful to watch. Now, not all couples have that. Um, I mean, some couples have a kind of a dead relationship. They're just sort of coexisting. Maybe once upon a time they had a spark, a flame, or something, but it's, it's mainly gone. And then there's a lot of other couples who have a little, you know, but it's kind of an ordinary or mediocre sort of just get by relationship. Uh, they mostly coexist, but there's a little bit of love there. But there's a few fortunate people, or maybe they're not lucky at all, they just work at it. But like this couple who have an extravagant kind of a love. They're really into each other. Um, and you can see in their eyes, and in their playfulness, and in their common interests, and it's just, they, they, they exude love. Now, what I want us to see this morning and really receive is that God wants an extraordinary, extravagant love relationship with us. He doesn't want a mediocre, just get by, ho-hum, nominal, safe, middle-of-the-road, vanilla relationship. He wants extravagant. He's an extravagant God. Everything he does is extravagant. He doesn't do anything halfway, anything ordinary. Could have just created a little planet, put people out of it instead. Bam, he cranks out gazillions of galaxies, you know. Just because he can. He's extravagant. Um, and so in his relationship with us, he, he doesn't just, we get in trouble, we fall, we're in bondage to the devil. He doesn't just give us a minimal salvation or, you know, just a, kind of a, throw us a little lifeline. He jumps in. He pours himself out to us completely. He first becomes one of us. That's pretty extravagant. But then he goes even further, and, and on the cross, he becomes our sin. He becomes our curse. He enters into our hell. Why? Because he's a God of extravagant love, a God a crazy love, a love that has no limits. He, he throws off all safeguards, pours himself out to the uttermost. He couldn't have gone further than he went. That's the furthest extreme he could go out of love for us. He's, it's infinitely extravagant. This is love for us. Yes, it, it, it just pours it out. And then, he's beautiful that way. And then in his extravagant love, the minute, that's his marriage proposal to us. The cross is his marriage proposal. Will you marry me? Will you enter into a covenant relationship with me? And the minute we say yes, uh, he, he takes us and he incorporates us in Christ Jesus. He brings us into Christ Jesus. And, and so everything that pertains to Christ by nature is now given to us by grace. All spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. And because we're in Christ, we're invited into the triune fellowship. We're, we're incorporated in, in the inside of, of this eternal love and joy and peace that is the triune God. He takes us into his very being. 
So it's not a, a, a relationship between God over here and us over there. He takes us and he puts us right in here. So he, he could not bring us closer than he already has brought us. He could not have gone farther on our behalf and he could not have brought us closer. He's a God of extravagant love. And then there's a final step that needs to happen for this extravagant love relationship to be consummated. And that is he wants to take that extravagant love and cause it to abide in us towards him. He wants to take his spirit and place it inside of us to fill us to the brim with his spirit, with his extravagant love, with his extravagant grace. Uh, and, and to have us begin to experience on the inside the love that mirrors the kind of love that he is. He wants to fill every nook and cranny of our being. But for this to happen, he needs our permission. He's not going to bulldoze his way into our life, force his way into our life. He's not that kind of God. He's a, a God of relationship, a God of relational love. And love always honors the personhood of the other, even if the other isn't aligning with God's will. He honors that personhood. And so he's not going to barge in. He needs to be invited. He calls on us to open up to him. And we can say no. The bride can say no. He wants to pour his whole self into us. Let's, let's share in this extravagant relationship. But often the bride and members of the bride say, well, I'll take a little, but I don't want the extravagant deal. Uh, it, it grieves God's heart. Imagine what it would be like, that couple I just told you about. Imagine what it would be like if, if uh, only one of the, 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 the couple were, had extravagant love. The other one was just sort of ho-hum. Let's say the husband is full of fiery love for his wife. Got an extravagant love for his wife, but his wife... This isn't that into him. Uh, and so there, he wants to walk hand, arm in arm, but she just wants to keep her arms by her side. Uh, and, and he looks at her with eyes of extravagant love, but her eyes are just kind of cold, neutral. And he tries to engage her with some playfulness and, come on, let, let's have some fun. And she's just sort of eh, not that interested in, in that. He tries to call attention to uh, the flowers and look at the birds and look at this. Let's, let's share an experience together, but her mind's kind of somewhere else. If you saw that, you'd feel bad for that husband. He's got so much love to give, so much he wants to share with her, but she just isn't there. And that, I, I suspect, is how God feels much of the time. It's, it's possible for this relationship with God to be extravagant from God's side to us, but mediocre from our side to him. Because we just don't want to be filled with that. Here God is saying, you know, uh, let's lock arms together. Let's walk together. Let me pour my, my, my love into you. Uh, I've got so much to share with you, and there's so much we can do together. It can be an extravagant love with an extravagant adventure, and we can do extravagant things. And, and the bride says, yeah, well, listen, I'll be married. I say I do, but I've got a lot of other things that I'm interested in doing and things I want to accomplish on my own. I only have this much space for you. Okay, so you can stay there in the corner. So we get a trickle of his spirit, uh, but not, we're not filled with his spirit. See, it, when we are filled with the spirit, this whole deal of being filled with the spirit or being immersed in the spirit, baptized in the spirit, that is about the Christian life going from ho-hum to extravagant. And see, God wants so badly to fill us. He's not a half-measured God. He wants to abide in us in his fullness. Now, there's a world of difference between uh, having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Uh, see, everyone who says yes to that marriage proposal, a genuine yes, has the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 12, that uh, no one 
I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. The only reason we can confess Jesus Christ as Lord genuinely and have faith and trust that Jesus is Lord is because the Holy Spirit's been working in our heart. On our own. I mean, some folks think that the reason you're a Christian is because you're a little smarter than other people. You figured it out or you're not as, as carnal and sinful as other people. But it's got nothing to do with that. Uh, we were all dead in our sin, the Bible says, Ephesians 2. Which doesn't mean that we were as bad as we could possibly be, but it does mean that none of us could save ourselves. Left to our own devices, none of us would be smart enough to, to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. No, we're, we're, we're too far gone. We're barred from, from, from doing that on our own. But it's the Spirit of God and the grace of God working in our heart, massaging in our heart, that empowers us to see the truth. And we couldn't see the truth without that empowering. Amen. Now, the Spirit never forces us uh, to, to believe. It doesn't make us believe. Because God's a relational God. He doesn't want puppets. He wants genuine people. We have to yield, but we couldn't do that, even that little move towards God, if it were not for the Holy Spirit. That's why it's all by grace, Paul says. Even your faith, that's not of yourselves. That is a gift of God, Ephesians 2. And so we have only God to praise for every, from beginning, middle, end. It's all to God's glory and grace that we are believers. There's no room for boasting. No room for boasting. It's all the Holy Spirit. So every believer has the Holy Spirit to that degree. You, you've yielded to that degree. But that doesn't mean that you're filled with the Spirit. Uh, and you find this distinction throughout the New Testament. Uh, for example, we saw this here, um, that uh, uh, in, 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 on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 1, the, the disciples believed, they believed that Jesus was Lord. They just witnessed him being raised from the dead. But they were not yet filled. So Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive this power from on high. And then he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so there's something more. You believe that's wonderful, but there's something more and it's going to come on you. Then 40 days later on the, first, on the day of Pentecost, it says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a new thing there. They had the Holy Spirit, but now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This other tongues, the Greek word is glossolalia, and just refers to languages. Languages that they didn't learn on their own natural brain. The Spirit gave them the ability to speak in these, these other languages they didn't know. So they had the Holy Spirit, but now they're filled. There's a distinct thing called the filling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in, in Acts 6, the apostles are getting too busy with, you know, running things. They want to spend more time in the Word. And so they, they say this to their followers, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Okay, there's, an, there's, there's, there's exceptionalism here. Not everyone is filled with the Spirit. If that was the case, you couldn't choose seven who are distinctly filled with the Spirit. There's something about these people that is extravagant. There, there's... there's a power on them or anointing on them, a wisdom on them that is not common. And so they, they, they say, choose seven that are filled, which presupposes that not everyone is filled. Um, you see this also in Acts 8. Here, Philip is preaching to, to these Samaritans, and it says this. When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the, the good news, so they believed, and they therefore had the Holy Spirit. Uh, but when they believed Philip, uh, the news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. So they believe and they're baptized. But now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. 
And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. And they'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John raised their, their, uh, placed their hands on them, and then they received the Holy Spirit. So they're believers, and they're even obedient. They're baptized. But Philip and others discern that there's something still missing. They're missing something. There, there's, they didn't have the experience that we had on the day of Pentecost. Um, they're not living outside of their own power. They're still kind of living in their own power. There's not that anointing there. He doesn't specify exactly what they sensed was missing, but they saw that they are not yet filled with the Spirit. And so they had the apostles come up from Jerusalem and pray with them, and then they were filled with the Spirit. So there's the having the Spirit, and then there's being filled with the Spirit. And the biblical norm is for us to be filled with the Spirit. One more verse I'll look at. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul here is speaking to believers. And he's telling them, be filled with the Spirit, which means it's not the case that just because you're a believer, you are filled with the Spirit. There's something more. He's saying that just as you know, when you're drunk, you do things that you ordinarily wouldn't do, and it's sinful. Uh, so also when you're filled with the Spirit or drunk in the Spirit, you'll do things that you ordinarily couldn't do, but you're empowered to do that by the Spirit. And he's saying, don't get drunk on alcohol, get drunk in the Spirit. It's kind of interesting, too, that in Acts 2, when they see you know, the disciples are filled with the Spirit, the crowd accuses them of being drunk. You guys are drunk. So they must have been acting pretty joyful. There's something there that, you know, they're, they're beside themselves, but, but for good reasons. And Peter gives the best refutation of drunkenness I've ever heard of before because he says to them, we can't be drunk, you guys. It's only noon. <laughs> Happy hour is not till three. So it's, uh... <laughs> yeah, so they're filled with the Spirit. Uh, it's also interesting here, and this is important, uh, the tense that Paul speaks in here. It, it, it's a tense in Greek which denotes an ongoing activity. So it's not, he's saying, not just don't once get drunk, he's saying don't keep on getting drunk, uh, which leads to debauchery and all sorts of nasty stuff, but keep on being filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing activity. Now, a lot of places, a lot of Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, and other places, uh, including the church I was first saved in, because I was saved in this Pentecostal church, uh, they taught that it's a one-shot deal. Once you're filled with the Spirit, bam. Now you can just always claim to be filled with the Spirit. And the way they taught at my church, it's like a polio vaccination. You know, once you get it, you got it for good. And the assumption is that once you get the Holy Ghost, as they would call it, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit's for liberals, Holy Ghost. And my Bible says, the inspired King James Version says Holy Ghost. And so once you get the Holy Ghost and spoken tongues, well then, that means you're going to be now walking on cloud nine the rest of your life. You're going to have that power and anointing and the joy and the peace and the Holy Spirit. You know, just like two feet off the ground the rest of your life. Of course, it never happens that way. Uh, but you pretend like it does because that's what the doctor says is supposed to happen. So that just means that you don't talk about all the nasty, ordinary stuff in your life when you don't feel filled. No, because you're always filled. You are super Christian. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but see, Paul doesn't share that view clearly. Um, it's an ongoing thing. The idea that if you get one shot, you're good for life. That, that's like saying, uh, somebody asked me, Greg, do you have extravagant love for your wife? And for me to say, oh, yeah, I had extravagant love back in 1974. I fell, in, I fell in love with her in 1974, 78. When did we fall in love? I think it was 78, 79. Uh, well, whenever it was. Whenever that was, 
It's irrelevant. Because the question is, do I, am I in love with her now? Do I have extravagant love now? What happened 40 some years ago is inconsequential. Back in our church, we, people would say, do you have the Holy Ghost? Do you have the Holy Ghost? And, and if you did, you'd say, yeah, I, I got the Holy Ghost back in 1974. Well, that's great. But what about today? Are you being filled with the Spirit? No. A lot can happen in 40 years, folks. Same thing with love. A lot can happen in 40 years. Just because you were extravagantly in love you know, 40 years ago does not mean you have it today. You know, love's not the kind of thing that you can just coast on. Some of you may have noticed. Now, you, you, you've got you've to work at it. You've got to choose it every day. You've got to rekindle that flame. And if you're not rekindling it, I guarantee you, it, it's slowly going out. Okay, so the only relevant question is, are you being filled now? That's how it is with the Holy Spirit. Or to go back to Paul's analogy. You know, don't be drunk uh, with the alcohol. Be filled with the Spirit. To think that if you're filled with the Spirit, you have it for life, is like saying, once you're drunk, you're drunk for life. <laughs> and there are folks, I'm sure, who would wish that was true. <laughs> It makes their life a lot cheaper, and they wouldn't wake up with hangovers. But it doesn't work like that. If you want to be drunk all the time, you've got to keep on drinking. And there's my, there's my message. Have a good day. <laughs> it takes work to stay drunk. Yeah, you've got to keep on tipping it back, you know. So it is with the Spirit. If you feel the Spirit, you've got to keep, keep tipping it back. You've got to go to the well regularly and drink. Uh, and and uh, cultivate that and fan that flame. So what God is saying here, folks, is, is this. He, he says, hey, Bride, I, I have extravagant love for you, and, and I want it to be reciprocated. Will you let my spirit dwell within you? Let me fill you. Let me set that, that love on fire. But it's got to be a regular thing. Every day we got to choose whether we're going to go ho-hum, ordinary, boring, normal, or whether we're going to be filled with extravagance. Are, are we going to let the extravagant spirit fill our life with this extravagant love to do things that we ordinarily can't do, to empower us in ways we normally wouldn't be empowered to do, to fill us with a joy and, and a passion that we ordinarily wouldn't have. We can just settle for ho-hum, mediocre, middle-of-the-road, vanilla Christianity if we want, but God is saying, come on, let, let, let's get in the game. Let, let's set this thing on fire. Let's have an adventure. Let's look into each other's eyes with, 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 with fiery love, embrace with fiery love. And then I can do wonderful, extravagant things through you. It's a daily choice. It's a daily choice. What happened 40 years ago, wonderful, but it doesn't matter what's happening today. Now, the minute you start talking about being filled with the Spirit in this way, it leads to this question for some. What is the evidence that you've been filled with the Spirit? What's the initial evidence? And what's behind this is that, there are a lot of groups, Pentecostal, Charismatic, and some others, who teach, and this is what I was taught when I was first a Christian, that if you are indeed filled with the Spirit of God, you will speak in tongues. That's the first thing that will happen. You'll speak in tongues. Some of you have been taught that, right? Um, and the, the basis of this teaching is this, that in Acts 2, uh, as we just saw, when the apostles are filled with the Spirit, they speak in tongues. And in Acts 10, the, these Gentiles are filled with the Spirit, and they speak in tongues. And in Acts 19, disciples of John the Baptist are filled with the Spirit, and they speak in tongues. And therefore, the conclusion is that everybody who is filled with the Spirit should speak in tongues, will speak in tongues. So if you haven't spoken in tongues, that means you're not yet filled with the Spirit. Sorry. Uh, you haven't yet got it. Um, now, here's the thing. I really think that speaking in tongues is a wonderful gift. Uh, it is uh, among the other uh, charismatic gifts. I'll be talking about these next week, by the way. It's a great gift, and we're to be seeking the gifts, not just to be okay with the gifts. Next week, we'll see that we're supposed to be zealous for them, Paul says. But while it is a tremendous gift, and I think it's here today available, uh, 
I really think it's misguided to make that sort of the criteria to determine whether a person's filled with the Spirit or not. I think it's very misguided. Even when I was a new Christian in this Pentecostal church that taught that, I, I had questions about it. Like this one. Okay, if the people who speak in tongues are full of the Spirit and the people who don't speak in tongues are not full of the Spirit, should you be able to notice in the people who do speak in tongues that their life is full of the Spirit? Like, wouldn't you think that they'd all be, like, more mature and, and more on fire and have more joy and be more forgiving and more Christ-like in other ways? But they weren't. I couldn't see any difference whatsoever between those who spoke in tongues and those who don't. And after 40 years, I still can't see any difference. Maybe with this one exception. In the church I was in, those who spoke in tongues tend to be a little bit self-righteous about it because they were on the inside club, but these other losers haven't yet got it, you know? And so there's a little judgmentalism there. And sometimes I liked the people who hadn't spoken in tongues a little more than the other ones because they had a humility to them, you know? But uh, that itself says there's something off with this sort of belief. As some of you know, I'm sure some come from this background, it also leads to some strange behaviors. Because you have a church here, and... um, there's really a, a two classes of people, those who are on the inside and those who are not. Those who have the Holy Spirit because they spoke in tongues and those who haven't. Uh, in fact, in, in my church, it was a, a distinction between those who are saved and those who weren't because you didn't speak in tongues, you weren't even saved yet. But most churches don't teach that, thankfully. But there's this, this weird dynamic. And then those who don't have it yet, they want it, right? So you have altar calls where people come up trying to get the Holy Ghost and... and uh, so, and so, so there's up there and there's music playing and they're crying and begging God for, to give them the Holy Ghost, which means give them the gift of speaking in tongues, which is weird. Why do you have to beg God for a gift? You know, every party I've ever been at, you know, I don't make my granddaughter beg for the gift before. Happy birthday, beg for it. <laughs> Please give me the gift. Let me get it. No, harder, harder. It doesn't work like that. It, God wants to give it to you. You shouldn't have to beg for it. But uh, then they're trying, then people, sincere people, wonderful people, and God works through everything. So they can have great godly experiences here. But you get people who are, you know, trying to speak in tongues, and then loved ones trying to help them speak in tongues. Have you been in services like that? So the poor John is up here, and they're rocking him back and forth, back and forth, you're praying on his head back and forth. You know, he's getting whiplash, and, and, and he's crying, and, and they're saying, hold on, let go, hold on. And they're going back and forth, and they grab the jaw and say, hallelujah, come on, loosen it up, loosen it up. Come see my marumo tie, ride my economy, Yamaha, and trying to jumpstart the whole process. And it's, it's, it's manipulative, but they're sincere, but they're manipulative, and and if it gets just one little syllable, like goo goo gaga, bam, you've got it, you know? And, yeah, so it's, never will that happen at Woodland Hills, okay? Be sure of that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Loosen up that jaw. You're basically admitting that this is a psychological gimmick when you act like that. Loosen up that jaw. Why would you have to do that to get filled with the Spirit? Isn't that a heart issue before it's a jaw issue? I just, I'm just wondering. Okay, so... But here's what's off with this, this teaching, okay? I could go on for an hour here, but I got to do it in, in three minutes. So a few things. One is this, and the primary one is this. The book of Acts is a historical work telling us what happened in the early church. Nowhere does Luke give the impression or the teaching that this is how it's supposed to be throughout history. We need to teach what the Bible teaches, not teach what people in the Bible experienced. All right? It, it, it's... Uh, it's a misuse of the book of Acts to treat it that way. Uh, and if you're going to treat it that way, at least be consistent. So 
if you're going to use this as a paradigm for how the church should always be, we should right now all be in communes where we have no private property because that's how the early Christians did it in Acts chapter 4. Hmm. Isn't that special? <laughs> or we should be praying over handkerchiefs to send to sick people because they did that in Acts 19. Or maybe we should be healing people by having them walk by my shadow because that happened to Peter in, in uh, Acts chapter 5. They, whoever's shadow touched got healed. So you need healing here. I'll try to get my shadow on you. Oh, there it goes. Tell me if it works. Um, or maybe we should have sermons that are so long that people fall asleep and fall out of windows like happened to Paul in Acts whatever chapter that was. <laughs> Don't say it. Because <laughs> some of you are right now thinking, oh, we already have that one. Yeah, yeah. We, we. <laughs> Thankfully, no one's sitting on a window. Uh, it's a misuse of the, of, of the book of Acts. And even if you were going to take the book of Acts and treat it like it was a pattern book for all of world history, that doctrine of tongues as the initial evidence is still not well-grounded because you've got five instances of people being filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts. Three of them mention tongues. Well, what about the other two? That's interesting. And not only that, but three of them mention prophesying as the initial thing that happened. So why isn't prophesying the initial evidence? It's just not a consistent doctrine. But the other, I'll, I'll give one more uh, uh, proof of this, okay? Um, in, Act, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about the body of Christ. Seth talked about this last week. Great sermon. Um, and he's talking about how the body is made of many members, and so we shouldn't all be trying to be a finger or an ear or a foot. Just play the role that we're supposed to play. And he, he, at the end of that chapter, he says this. Uh, he, goes, are all, he asks this rhetorical question. Are all apostles? Of course. The answer to all these questions is no, obviously. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? Don't think so. Do all teach? Nope. Do all do work, work miracles? Of course not. Do all have gifts of healing? Uh, not, I don't think so. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Now, Paul couldn't have asked that question. Do all speak in tongues? He's presupposing that not everyone speaks in tongues. But if speaking in tongues is like the proof that you have the Holy Spirit, well, then, then he, he couldn't have asked that question. He'd have to say, I wish all would speak in tongues. I wish that all would be full of the Spirit. But here he's assuming that in the ordinary church, not everyone's going to speak in tongues. So tongues is not the initial evidence that you're filled with the Spirit. So then what is the evidence that you're filled with the Spirit? First thing I want to say about that is evidence, I think, is the wrong word. Evidence is like a legal term. Evidence is what lawyers look for when they're trying to make a case. Uh, what is the proof? Uh, and, and it presupposes kind of a judgmental context, like we're all looking at each other. What's the evidence that you're filled with the Spirit? Give me the proof. You say you're filled with the Spirit, prove it! Now, what is the evidence? I'm looking for particular evidence. Jacques Cousteau, looking for personal evidence that you are filled with the Spirit. Someone came up to me and says, oh, give me the proof that you're filled with the Spirit. I'd say, go, go off of your snippy little before I break wind in your general direction. Go away. <laughs> no, don't bother me. Monty Python's fans just caught that reference. Uh, we shouldn't be looking at each other's like for proof, for evidence like that. Look, if Shelly has to look for evidence that I have extravagant love for her. Honey, I'm looking for some proof that you really have extravagant love. Well, if she's doing that, I obviously don't have extravagant love for her. If I have extravagant love for her, it should be obvious. And when a person's filled with the Holy Spirit, I think it's rather obvious. Look, to go back to Paul's analogy one last time. Don't blame me. It's Paul's analogy. Don't be drunk in the Spirit. I mean, don't get drunk with alcohol. Be filled with the Spirit. And it was obvious to the people on the day of Pentecost that they were filled with the Spirit. Um, for the same reasons that it's obvious when a person is drunk. When a person's drunk, uh, yeah, cops have to get a breathalyzer test for evidence of it. Uh, but, but that's just your... Otherwise, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? If a person's really loaded, isn't it obvious? Uh, it's kind of hard to hide. My daughter tried one time. 
And I know you all think that pastor's kids are just angels from birth and all heavenly, but hate to burst that little bubble. Uh, so my darling Alicia, and I got her permission uh, before to use this, uh, before I do, of course, you think I'm stupid. Um, and so, you know, she, she was, we, we sometimes say she's born Christian. She's born with this sweet demeanor, so easy to raise, so compliant, so sweet, so affirming. But she became a teenager, yeah, and that's when the devil takes over. And so, <laughs> you know how it is. And so when she was 15, she went through a little rebellious period. So she's sleeping over at a friend's house. And about one in the morning, we get a knock on the door, and it's two police officers who have escorted my lovely, sweet daughter, who we nicknamed Snorky because she snorked all the time when she slept as a baby. Uh, Snorky uh, is being escorted by these police. And they found her roaming around by herself in this neighborhood. We learned later that what had happened is she didn't sleep over where she was supposed to be. She went to a party where they're drinking. And then the, a group of them went out to tea, toilet paper someone's house. And she had to go to the bathroom, so she went in the bushes. And when she came out of the bushes, uh, her crowd was gone. And she couldn't find them. And she didn't remember what house she was, you know, came from because she's inebriated. And so she's going around spying in people's houses trying to find uh, her party house. <laughs> so someone calls the police, and they escort her home. And she tried so hard to be normal and act like there's nothing wrong. And, and so she's like, I'm, I'm fine. I, I just got, and she's talking like this with her eyes glazed. Just, I just got a little lost. There's a little lost. <laughs> and so we say, Alicia, why is one of your shoes missing? Because she had one shoe on. And she looks down. She goes, my shoe's missing. <laughs> and, and then she had to go to the bathroom. So she went downstairs. And when she came up, for some reason, she had taken off her sweater and put it on again, but it was backwards. You know, and, and Shelly and I are trying not to giggle at this point because, you know, we have to really crack down on this. But uh, she's like, she's like I, 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 didn't, I didn't drink anything, I, and I didn't smoke any pot either. <laughs> Busted. You can't hide this kind of stuff. Hey, the good news for your parents is that, you know, for your parents who have, go, the teenagers are going through their teenage demonic years and there's rebellion. Hey, my daughter now is the exemplar, classic, supercharged Christian, and her family is just the ideal kingdom stuff. And they're beautiful, and they're wonderful. And uh, yeah, so there's hope. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but there's hope uh, when, when they go through that. And so I, I'm thinking to myself as we're witnessing this, and trying not to giggle, that I, thank God it was only that, because I know where I was at when I was 15. So, you know, I'm thanking God it's, it was minimal. But then, of course, you have to crack down like it's the apocalypse. So... She was, I think he got off being grounded like last year. She's 32 now. So really cracked down. So the, it's obvious, like it is when a person is, 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 is drunk. Um, look at the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, meekness, and self-control. So if, if that's the fruit of the Spirit, if someone's full of the Spirit, they'll be full of that fruit. It's going to kind of ooze out of them. Uh, you know, and, and all the things of God are going to just ooze out of them. In Acts 6 that we saw before, when they say, find us seven people, you know, are full of spirit, they didn't say, check out if they've spoken in tongues. Look for the initial evidence. No, just go out and find the people that everyone acknowledges. Yeah, those guys are on fire for God. They're full of the spirit. They have love that goes beyond their, what they're ordinarily capable of. And joy and peace beyond what they're ordinarily capable of. They are people who are sustained by the spirit and on a regular basis. It's an obvious sort of thing. And we don't need to be inspecting each other. What we need to be doing is saying, God, I want more of your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with Christ-likeness. Fill me with that power. Fill me with that joy. Fill me with that peace. I want what you want for me. I want to go all the way with this thing. Final thing I'll say is just this. Uh, how do you receive the spirit? Uh, now, there's a lot of books written on this, and I encourage you to buy none of them. You don't need a book on this. Uh, they have formulas and gimmicks and 
Come see my maroon boat high stuff. Uh, I I wouldn't read that if I were you. I'm going to save you money here. It's it's simple, not rocket science. Ask and then empty. Just remember those two words. You want the Holy Spirit in fullness? Ask. Jesus said, which of you fathers, if if your son asked for uh, some bread or fish, are you going to give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, which father would give him a scorpion? Dad, can I have an egg? No, here's a scorpion. Uh, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask the Father and trust the Father. Um, And he's desirous to give you this gift, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, you got to want it. I mean, you can't just ask as a formality or just a dead liturgy or something. Uh, Don't do it because the pastor told you to. There has to be a desire uh, for this extravagant love. Uh, And it might inconvenience your life. The ordinary way of living is, by definition, easier. It's conventional. It's what everyone does. Ordinary, normal, vanilla, middle of the road. Play it safe. Don't stand out. Extravagant, by definition, is different from that. And so you have to be willing to upset your life a little bit if uh, the Spirit leads you in that direction. Do you want that? But God wants us to want that, to replicate his passion for us by how we love him, and that can only happen through the Spirit. And then, in terms of emptying yourself, I'll just use this analogy. Um, Look, here's a, here's a glass. In one sense, it's, it's full of water, but it's not filled with water because there's other things, other things other than water here. There's rocks that are taking up water space. And as long as there are rocks that are taking up water space, this glass can't be full of water and only water. If you want the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you got to get the rocks out. We've all got rocks. Uh, things that we hang on to that we know this are not consistent with the reign of God, the kingdom of God. Uh, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we've got our self-will and our own ambitions and our own pride and maybe relationships we're, that we know we've got to let go of and, and things that are too important to us. And as long as we're clinging to those things, it blocks the Spirit. It's like you know, Jesus said in John 7 that the Spirit will be, abide in us and will be a wellspring of living water. He just wants to flow out of us like living water, an endless reservoir of living water that just gives life and, and, and gives joy and gives kingdom peace and kingdom love. But every one of these rocks blocks that flow, right? It's like it's spiritual constipation. We got a crap in our life. It's all backed up. The spring can't flow. Uh, you got to get rid of this stuff. And, and, and so what God is saying to us here this morning is... Honestly, ask yourself the question, are you clogging the flow of the wellspring of living water? Are you taking up space that belongs to the Holy Spirit? Um, and, and will you offer that up to God? Just take that ambition of yours that causes you so much anxiety and fatigue because you're always striving. Take it out and let God give you a spirit of, of relaxation, of joy, and of peace. And, and that bitterness that you're hanging on to, take it out and let God give you that spirit of, of love and forgiveness. And, and that, that, that self-will, you've got to have it your way that causes all that impatience. Will you take it out and let God give you a spirit of, of patience, a spirit of peace. And, and the, the things that you're clinging on to, cars or houses or relationships that are too important to you, will you take that idolatry out and offer it to God and let God give you the spirit that fulfills your life apart from all the things of this world? And so on for every rock that you find there. Just be honest and offer up to God. And as you empty that out, it's like John the Baptist said. He says, you know, I must decrease that he may increase. Now, that's a spiritual, there's a spiritual principle there. If you want, the more of God you want, the less of you you got to cling to. 
That's why the Bible says die, which is basically kill all the rocks. Just take all the rocks out, and then you'll find newness of life. So the degree that we die is the degree to which we really live. And the Spirit is that life. He is God's extravagant life, God's extravagant power, extravagant love, extravagant joy, extravagant peace. A peace that passes understanding and the joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. That joy that can be there whether things are going well or things are going bad. The relationships ended. Uh, you got the bad news about your health. The finances are crashing. It doesn't matter. That can be there that wellspring of life. God wants to give it to us extravagantly. Will we say yes? Will we say yes? If, if it's in your heart to say yes, say amen and stand up. Amen. amen. All right. I want to open up the auditorium, the, the further auditorium here. We have some prayer teams that will come up. If you're here and could use any prayer, I encourage you to come up here and pray with these folks. Or if you're here and want to be a, a follower of Jesus, you haven't committed your life to Jesus, come up here and tell these folks and they'd love to get you started on the Christian life. As we leave here, can we do it as a people who are committed to getting empty that we may get full, uh, full of, of the extravagant life of God. Don't settle for mediocrity, normal, vanilla, middle-of-the-road, play-it-safe, ordinary, boring, nominal Christianity. No, let's, let, let's go for broke. Let's let the extravagant spirit of God fill us to have an extravagant love, an extravagant life that we manifest to the world around it that so desperately needs it. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said one more time. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and get filled.